Fan Morning Show. Gunnar and Danella here with you, here with you until just before 9 o'clock today. Very, very happy to welcome in our first guest. And uh, this insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Pleased to welcome in former MLB outfielder, of course, former O and host of the Adam Jones podcast, Adam Jones. Adam, this is a thrill. Thank you so much for jumping on. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, bright and early where you're at. It's nice and warm where I'm at. So, uh, you know, it's good to good to talk to you guys. A lot of good baseball going on and, uh, you know, with 30-something games to go. And uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of teams and franchises are excited. So do you want to do you want to divulge where where you're at right now? I said to uh, my co-host and producer here, I said you didn't make Adam Jones get up at seven in the morning for us, did you? Where 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 are you uh, where are you at? Are you traveling the world? Have you set up a home base somewhere else? What's going on, Adam? Yeah, I'm not getting up seven a.m. for many things <laughs> these days. Um, but uh, no, we uh, we reside in Barcelona. We uh, moved out here after I retired and just uh, wanted to. You know, get a different look on life, live somewhere else, give our kids a different perspective on life and just living in a different culture, different country. And it's uh, it's been awesome. That's uh, that's that's really interesting to hear. And, it, you know, it, it kind of leads perfectly. This wasn't where I was going to start. But, you know, we know how we, we know that you uh, ended up playing in Japan at the tail end of your career. Like you've lived such an interesting baseball life. I mean, you you were an all star. You you ended up playing over there. Now you're living in Barcelona. Like uh, d- did the experience in Japan kind of make you want to experience more of that different cultures or or was it something you kind of always had your mind's eye on post post career? No, I think Japan really opened our eyes for it. Um, my wife grew up in Paris for a year or two when she was young, and just remembers just different. You know, I mean, she grew up obviously in Baltimore, but she remembers as a kid seeing something different. And I always said that she would love to give her kids this sort of opportunity. And you know, fast forward, you know, we all want to retire and live in the big house and do all that. But I think, you know, it's it's a little bit different you know, getting uprooting your family and moving to a different country and living out here. Like what's people are scared of that. I think because of uh, thinking that, you know, missing something or leaving people behind there's airplanes that go everywhere. So you're just like, <laughs> let's go out to Barcelona. It's a Spanish speaking con- country, obviously Spain. And uh, we live in this in San Diego. So it's, it, it ties into, you know, what we're trying to give our kids and the experiences we're trying to get. And also it's an hour or two from every major city that's in Europe. So we were in Lake Como last week and just in South of Spain as of yesterday. So we can hop around an hour in, in, in a half and be in some of the most iconic places in the world. Oh, that sounds lovely. I love that, Adam. Uh, before we get into some actual baseball, I am going to ask you this because you were talking about travel. As someone that played in the big leagues for a long time, did you have a favorite city, stadium, place to visit when you were a big leaguer during your career? Um, well, honestly, I'm talking to you guys in Toronto. Toronto was my favorite city. Um, due to the fact of multitude of things, the fans could could wear me out all game and buy me a beer at the end of the night at a bar <laughs> or something like that. It was it was just it was just business. It wasn't personal, it was just business. And I and I love that about about Toronto, obviously, uh, Jacob's Steakhouse is my top three steakhouse in North America. So it just, it just, and obviously that's just one of the small part of the food diversion. There's a lunch spot that I used to always go to right around the corner from the Ritz Carlton. So and get chicken tiki marsala. 
play. There was so many, so many great things about Toronto, the ballpark. I met so many, so many great, great friends that I still talk to to this day. And it helped out the fact that we went there 19 or 10 times a year. So um, I became very fond and familiar with it. The summers are amazing up there. And uh, it just, I just had a very, very good time uh, in Toronto. Seems like a weird thing to ask you. I imagine you remember, but do you remember that that's where you made your big league debut? Is that part of what makes it special for you? Well, part of it and the fact that I came back there and, you know, getting traded to the, to the East and, you know, I got to play there a lot and I had a lot of success there, but no, of course, I'll never forget that day uh, making my debut. And I would just remember when I tell the story, I woke up at four thirty, five thirty, six thirty, seven thirty, and eight thirty, like home alone. Like, what am I going to do? Like, it's my debut, like get some rest. And I just was so amped and just ready to go. And I remember ordering breakfast and it was like a 96 bucks at the four seasons up in Yorkville. And I'm like, Oh, ho, ho, hold on. This is, this is, oh, uh, uh-uh, no, let's go to Denny's. Let's go to IHOP. Let's get that uh, moons over my hand for nine ninety nine. No, no, no. This is a little too expensive. That's awesome, Adam. Uh, that that's so good to hear, uh, man. That's uh, that that is funny. I I imagine a ninety six dollar breakfast bill feels a little different to you these days uh, than it did when you were just breaking in uh, to the big leagues. And in, in terms of this O's team and what you've what you guys have got uh, going on, you know, it's an exciting bunch. We say uh, the, maybe the hardest thing in ba- or baseball, any sport, to do is to acquire young talent the next hardest thing to do is kind of take the step after that and it's been remarkable the way this O's team has done it obviously you're part of some pretty good O's teams there but what have you seen out of this bunch well what I've seen is just the fact that they've just built a homegrown stable like it's it is you know Kentucky Derby it's all the studs that everybody wants uh, they the prospect laden minor league system, but then they get to the major leagues and they're ready to play. They're ready. They're proven athletes, but they're they're proven baseball players. They're playing the game with such high IQ that it's like, hold on, what you guys are learning so much at a younger age. It, it, it's the learning curve is, is speeding up, and it's remarkable to see. And right now, honestly, they they aren't spending the big dollars yet, and that's even better because. You know, once they're able to spend the money, they're going to hopefully keep a lot of the core, but then go out and get some guys that can add value to the organization also from outside pieces. But what Elias and Mike Hyde is doing right now is, uh, uh, I mean, not Mike Hyde, Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde, what they're doing right now is just amazing. They're keeping the blinders straight on the object, and that's every single baseball game for nine innings, play the game right, play the game hard. It's ugly. We know the baseball games. Some of them are pretty. Some of them, most of them are ugly. But they are coming out with uh, with a smile on their face most most nights, and they're just playing a good brand of baseball right now. And as a baseball fan, I think across the board, teams fan bases want to see this kind of brand of baseball where they hit behind the runners, they steal bases, they go first or third, they score on doubles, they take the extra bases. Rather than the old way, I say five, six years ago, where it's okay, let's wait for the three run home run. I think the rule changes have favored teams with more speed and teams that put the ball in play rather than the big boppers. I think a lot of teams are envious, certainly, of what the Orioles have built and the just the the absolute treasure trove of talent that they've developed internally, as you pointed out, Adam. 
guys like Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, the list goes on and on. Even going back to like Cedric Mullins, who found himself in Baltimore, you know, just emerging in Baltimore a couple of years ago as one of the better center fielders in all of baseball. And I think the big question that we have yet to see fully pan out just yet, the position players are great. It's the pitching. It, that's been the biggest area of concern for them. They went out, they got Jack Flaherty at the trade deadline to sort of supplement that. But I'm wondering as you certainly currently see this group right now, as that rotation is currently constituted, do they have enough good, high quality top end arms to be a major threat in October? Can those guys hold up and be contributors, meaningful contributors in postseason baseball? Now that now to that, that's a, that's a multiple part question because the Orioles haven't have a problem right now with innings limit. Now, if we strip the innings limit because they have some guys who have not reached this threshold of innings in their career because they're young, and that's just part of it. But at the same time, getting to this part in the season, to postseason, to possibly the World Series, these are things that you just can't be like, oh, well, I'll just wait till next year and we'll figure it out. He'll be stronger next year. No, no, no. You figure it out now. This, this, this is what everybody has worked their entire lives for. Um, so, you know, guys like Bradish. Kramer, Gibson, these aren't household names. Gibson's obviously more known being the veteran. These aren't household names. And these guys have absolutely pitched well above what any expectation anybody else besides themselves have had this year. Bradish is, is, should garner a lot of Cy Young uh, consideration due to the fact that he's sitting right at a three ERA, one of the top, one of the lowest in uh, baseball and whips. Like he's having an unbelievable year. But again, he's not the biggest name. In the, in, because you have Scherzer's, Verlander's, Coles, you know, just always lurking. So he's not garnering the most attention. But the Orioles staff, if you strip away the the inning limit and you just say, look, at pitch, just pitch. Your name is called. And they just went to a six-man rotation, which I think will help out in the long run and, and stretch out some of these innings for Grayson and for, uh, for Kramer and for, for Bradish. These guys, with some rest, I think can pitch well against anybody. Again, it's different postseason when you know you're going against a Scherzer, a Verlander, which these are guys that they're going to probably go against if they make it to certain rounds. But at the same time, when they just pound the strike zone and their stuff plays at any time, any place, and they have the defense to to back them up. So when you have those two things, guys that pound the zone and defense, it, it, the sky's the limit. It's just a matter of. Are they going to sustain it? Because, again, these are the innings limits that they're reaching, and they always talk about the pitching. But these are the innings limits, and if you strip them, I think they are in a good position. It's, and if you can get the ball to Cano and Bautista, as you guys have seen firsthand, those guys are disgusting. Oh, yeah. Those two at the back end of a bullpen are, are filthy. And there's, I mean, even another guy that is not currently in the rotation, but Tyler Wells was one of their better arms for a good chunk of the season before he really struggled and had to be sent down. They, they do have a lot of options there, and that is certainly, and I love the point you made about uh, Kyle Bradish because, yes, he's one of the more underrated guys in baseball, especially this year. Um, I think you'd be the perfect person to sort of ask about this because you, you touched on sort of, hey, you don't, don't, these moments are fleeting. Like, don't let 
this opportunity and what's in front of you right now escape because you never know if it's going to come back. And you were part of the last O's team that A, was above 500 back in 2016, and then B, also was the last team to make the postseason that year. And that was on the heels of a very, you know, prolonged stretch where you guys were really consistent, really good, had a lot of great pieces a part of that. I wonder, how does that, how do you kind of view uh, a competitive window in baseball? And, and did you feel even at that time when you were part of the O's that maybe the window in a lot of ways closed sooner than you might have maybe even ever imagined it could? Well, the window is based on the use. And, you know, there's going to be a point where guys need to get paid. They go through arbitration. You get three years of a guy's services at a very low rate, and then the arbitration kicks in where the money starts to be made. So our, our thing was we were able to keep uh, – we were able to keep a core for a significant amount of time. Um, you had – when I first got to Baltimore, you had B-Rob making money, and then Marquecas started to make money two years after that. And then I moved, I started making money three years after that, and then leaders a couple years after that. So we all didn't just blast out and go from zero to, you know, from three years and then arbitration all together. We all incrementally increased in salary, and you have to keep your cores together. Honestly, you can't keep everybody together. And you've seen once Marquecas left, um, our defense went, went differently. Um, once Weider hurt his arm, our offense and defense changed a little bit. Caleb was a big part of uh, the resurgence of helping out with, with, uh, when it came to catching. He did a hell of a job for us uh, during his tenure. And, it, you know, you just have to keep the core together, and it's expensive. Um, some teams are able to lock in team-friendly deals, depending on teams, depending on ages. You see what the Braves did. They locked up all their young guys as soon as they can. Um, it, and they locked them up, I guess, cheaper than market value. And as of right now, they don't have to pay a lot, but in three or four years, those guys' contracts are going to have kickers and they're going to be more expensive. So it's just, it's about, it's about balance. Um, we had guys, like I said, I, I took a, a contract, um, CD took a contract, um, then we just had arbitration guys. So you, you have to keep your core and then you have to add. Um, but their window for me is, 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 is as open as, as the organization is willing to win. Um, you know that the Yankees, there's no rebuilding there. The Blue, the, uh, Blue Jays, there's no rebuilding. The Tampa's always competitive with, this, with how they run their roster. And in Red Sox, there's no rebuilding. So in the East, you always have to bring your A game every night, every year, because three of the, four, three of the five teams are always going to spend – so when you have when you compete with that, and you have to compete with that, you have to make sure that your organization from top to bottom is ready to compete, and you have to have some money and able to either trade guys, which is prospects, or sign guys to free agent deals that can help out your organization, which the Blue Jays, Yankees, and uh, the the Red Sox do really well. The Orioles and the Braves not so well due to the fact of of just finances. Yeah, I mean, you got to spend it. You got to pay for it one way or another, right? You're either paying for prospects if a guy's on an awesome deal, or you're paying with cash. It's that's what's going to kind of bump up against the O's at a certain point in time here. You know, one one question I have for you, and you'd be a perfect guy to ask this because I imagine throughout the course of your career, you've been on either side of this situation. The Orioles own the Blue Jays this year. They have whooped them every time they have played them. The Jays' wins have been nail biters. The O's' wins have been beat downs. What does it do 
to a clubhouse, to a team's morale when you're on kind of either side of that? I mean, I know good and bad, but how much do players kind of feel that? It is such a talking point with this O's team compared to the Blue Jays this year that you're sitting here and going, okay, the Jays are supposed to be a little more ahead of cycle and the Orioles are treating them like they're the big brother. What's it like in a, in a clubhouse when you're on either side of that? Well, it goes. It always goes back and forth because you know, one year you're beating up on the, on, on each other, the next year they're beating up on you. It just it goes back and forth. And this year is the old year. They're beating up on everybody, man. Just they're, they're just playing well against everybody. But what they're doing against the Blue Jays is just is is basically their own medicine. Um, what I see at the Orioles is is the fact that their athleticism is so great from one to nine that they don't slump. Again, they're not. You, know, you, you don't have many guys sitting, you know, three twenties and all that kind of stuff. But they they create extra outs. And what I mean is like, okay, if there's a fielder's choice, okay, well then if there's a fielder's choice, you got Mateo Mullins, Honey Henderson, Westberg, um, Mateo. They're running. The first, second pitch, they're running. They're trying to sell a base. Now if they get a, they steal the base. They get a blooper. Like they create so many outs, like extra outs, fourth outs, just because of their athleticism. And that's what the Blue Jays did. But right now, it seems like, you know, a little bit like they're waiting for the three-run home run. Not everybody's in sync. Um, Big fella just came back. Uh, Bo Bichette just came back. They did a good job. You guys did a really good job in uh, in Cincinnati. Um, but again, you know, the game is hard. And when you get older, you can't do those type of things. When you start making more money, you can't do those type of things. You think you can. Um, and but then the Orioles are just a young team that a lot of guys that are making a minimum. And when you're making a minimum, that makes you hungrier than ever. It should be the opposite way around. When you're making the money, you should be hungrier than ever. But when you're making a minimum and you see other guys making it, it makes you so much hungry. And right now, the Orioles are the hungriest team in baseball. As like I watch so much baseball and watching them nightly, they them and the Braves are like they're they are the hungriest teams with different payrolls and different uh, expectations. The Braves are were at the beginning of the season, okay, we're supposed to fight for the for the World Series. The Orioles fight for 500. Now both of teams are top three in the power rankings and every and, and just playing great baseball because they play baseball. They don't play analytical-driven baseball. They just play baseball. There's a relentlessness to that Orioles lineup that has, you know, us as Jays fans and us sitting here covering the team, we're just envious of it because you're sitting there and thinking, my goodness, it is so fun to watch. And especially for the way the, the Blue Jays have played offensively at times this year where it's been really, really challenging and a tough watch. Baltimore, just the way they do it and how they sort of pass that baton along throughout their lineup is refreshing to see. And it's just a fun brand of baseball to consume. And I, it goes back to one thing I wanted to actually mention about offense and in your experience when you stepped in the box, did you have, uh, we talk like approach is a term that gets tossed around a lot, but what was, did you have a specific plan or what, what sort of did you look for at bat to at bat? How did your approach shift throughout the course of a game as you were stepping in the batter's box? Um, well, it was situational. I mean, if nobody was on base, I mean, I'm trying to drive the ball as trying to hit the ball as hard as I can, where, you know, wherever it's pitched, wherever, I don't care where it goes. Um, obviously situational men on second base, you know, no outs. I'm trying to hit the ball to the big part of the field to at, at, at worst, uh, get him over, try to get him in also. Cause I'm an RBI guy. So the game dictated the situation. That's why when you're on deck, when you're in the hole, when you're on the bench, 
watched the game. I always watched the game. I always paid attention to the game. I got nothing else to do. There's nothing else that should grab my attention. I should be watching the game, and that's all I did. And I analyzed every scenario, every situation. You know, I would be in center field, be like, hey, you know, we're down by two. I'm, if I'm, lead, I'm leading off the next inning, you know, if, if, we, if, we hold this, uh, if we hold this deficit and we're still down by two, I got CD hitting behind me or Trumbo or whoever was in behind me. Maybe I might drop down a bunt to lead off the inning and try to get on base because a solo homer does nothing. Um, and maybe I've been struggling. Maybe I need to find a way to get on base. Like I, I always thought of scenarios in my head, no matter where I was at. Um, I know a lot of people don't do that because they just react. That's how the game is taught. But me, I was taught to always think ahead and be, it's like chess, always be steps ahead. So I was always thinking of, uh, of you know, plays ahead, what to do. Like I'm seeing center field of, you know, if a ball was, if, if a hard ground mental set first and second, hard ground ball hit to me, I can't throw the guy out at home, but a one hopper, I got a chance. So it's just all these things. I always try to give myself multiple scenarios, and then whenever the scenario that is in front of me hits, clicks, then that's the one I have to go with. All right, Adam, I have loved this conversation with you, and I have one more question before we let you go. Uh, unfortunately for you, I have asked this of every member of the 2016 Baltimore Orioles that I have had a chance to talk to. What was going through your head as Zach Britton, uh, elite closer at the time, was warming up in the wild card game as Edwin Encarnacion's bomb sailed out of the, the stadium? Were you thinking, yeah, maybe get that guy uh, in there? Uh, I mean, it's, it, obviously it wasn't my decision, and it wasn't anybody's decision except Bucks. Um, I, it just, I just think how, how it works in those, in those wild card games is, you know, when you have a guy who can throw multiple innings, um, you throw them, mm-hmm. um, and we had we had both. We had Yobaldo, and I will never disrespect Yobaldo because Yobaldo was seven and two in the second half. That's the only reason why we were in being in the wild card game. It's because of Yobaldo. Um, you guys went with Liriano, a nastier pitcher, more aggressive, higher velo, tougher to score, tougher to score runs when a lot of energy is going on. Um, and, you know, max limit of 50 pitches. And we had Britain who can do the same thing. Um, you know, you probably want to go to closer on the road because you want to live and die. But, again, these aren't my decisions. We need to put up more damn runs. And <laughs> let's not forget, you know, we had an error in left field that made it first and third. You can't just say that, you know, Ubaldo was the reason why we lost. No, we, had, it, we didn't score no runs that game. We had chances to score runs, and we didn't. I mean, it was that was an epic game. I, 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 I can relive that game. Definitely. And it was a fantastic baseball game. Obviously we didn't come out on the, on the side of, of victory, but it was a great baseball game overall. And, uh, you know, you want to live and die with your closer. Obviously I don't know they have a point five four that year, but, um, we didn't run it. We didn't go with them. And, you know, we subsequently lost that game. And it was, it was a tough and very loud, uh, walk off the field because I never, ever run off the field. When we walk, we get walked off. I always walked. Because it's called a walk-off. So why everybody running? <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Adam, I have loved this chat with you. You've long been one of my favorite personalities in the game. Uh, you're a, you're clearly a, a pretty inter- interesting personality outside of it as well. I hope you are uh, enjoying everything going on in Barcelona. And as a parent myself, I feel like you found the parenting hack that you watch baseball, I imagine, as your family's like asleep and stuff because of the time difference. You say you watch so much. I feel like I just discovered uh, the little hack there that maybe I have to uproot myself to Barcelona as well. I don't know. 
Oh, 100%. I get to watch it quietly, no interruptions, no change the channel to this. I don't want to watch this. Nobody's up at one in the morning. I'm always like, come to bed. I'm like, you're asleep. There's nothing you sleep. Okay? Love I, it. I'll, 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 I'll come up there shortly. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Adam, thank you so much, man. Really enjoy it and uh, loving the pod as well. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, that was awesome. That love, was love that chat. I, you know, I tell you, you're good at your job all your time, all the time. That was a, that was an excellent get. You know, uh, somebody like him had tons to say as a player. Like that's always the thing with guys post career. It's like, wow, this guy has so much to say. It's like he always had a lot to oh, say. Oh, he did. And you loved it. If you were, you know, again, uh, good luck prying him away from the life he's leading right now. But I want that guy as a like quality control oh. coach on my team. I don't need him like making the calls and stuff. I don't need him to ha- be that bogged down. I just want him like snapping sunflower seeds out of guys' hands and stuff and telling him <laughs> to get on the top step and actually watch the game. I, that was the best part. I love that. He, I, I, and again, it's like, I know he's retired. I know he's like, you know, older, but like he sounds a hundred years older. Like watch the game, put down your phone. And guess what? Agree. I co-sign all of that. I love that. that no, was that awesome. was awesome. I, that was my favorite part for sure was to watch the game. I got nothing better to do. It's true. And all it's these a great guys point. Are out there playing around in the dugout all the time. And uh, yes, to verify, Zach Britton had a point five four ERA in 2016. He allowed four earned, run the, earned runs, excuse me, the whole season. Only four. And he did not pitch in the 2016 wildcard game against the Toronto Blue Jays. Absolutely wild. Man, great stories. That is, a, that is a great story there. Uh, it is now time for Something to Chew On. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. So I think we should do Herdman here. Oh, we appeased we appeased the crowd, did we yeah, not, we did. Josh? Yeah, we did. We, we did. did. We, we appeased can't. the audience. No one, no one needs me. Like, ah, you got to hear enough <laughs> of me. You don't need that. The, that's, the least you can do fantastic. is get a little, little, just little taste Alish there. Uh, so John Herdman. Yep. Sure. You tell me the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Regale well, me with the tales of John Herdman. Yeah, okay. So so here's the deal with John Herdman. He there was this report, and it goes back to last week. There was this report that circulated, was it last week, two weeks ago? At some point recently, that suggested, you know what? John Herdman could be a candidate for the TFC job. And it was reported oh. by Joshua Cloak from the okay. Athletic. And now here we are yesterday. Now it's okay. John Herdman is not just a candidate. He's not just on the periphery. He's the considered the front runner. Mm. And so much so that his representation is the one that is pushing the envelope here. That is eager <laughs> and, ha- and actually initiated the dialogue with Toronto FC. They reached out and expressed interest and said, our client would love to coach your soccer team, your soccer club. This is interesting because Toronto FC is a tire fire right now. Mm-hmm. And if you were to make this move, which I wouldn't even consider it a lateral move. I think in a lot of ways, it is a step down. And it should be because you're currently coaching a national team. Yeah, coaching in okay? the World Cup versus MLS. MLS. Sorry. And a team that is in, well, not last place right now, but they soon will be. Seems like a They're miracle second based on everything la- Well, you want to know why? Because Inter-Miami is last, but oh. that's not going to last very long. Okay. <laughs> Can so, we get Leo Messi? Yeah, right? So, hey, hey, if that's the master plan and John's got some European god coming mm. my goodness i mean maybe then we can talk ourselves into they're, it you mean they're gonna bring cristiano out of they're gonna like no get no. him out of saudi arabia no on the cloakness and the cloak of darkness no, no zero chance that's not happening he's a <laughs> come on they, 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 first off a cristiano's not ready for this level of competition <laughs> secondly <laughs> secondly the money's not even gonna be close okay so it's it's not there but to see a guy legitimately consider the prospect of going from a national team, an, any national team, mm-hmm. never mind just the Canadian yep. national team, which has an automatic berth in their back pocket for the World Cup that is at home 
and he's literally con- seriously considering making this move down to the club level of yep. soccer. It is, it's, it's unprecedented, and it's an embarrassment in a lot of ways for Canada soccer. I think more than anything, the fact that this is a story is embarrassing for the Federation. I cannot get over how bad the Canadian Soccer Association has fumbled this window, run, opportunity, however you want to put it. All The women have been doing their job going back to 2012, even and, before oh, oh, that, also, right? Also, yeah. guess, guess who was part of the yeah, the, of course. the movement, that that great wave of, of the success with the women's program? Oh, who was it? Oh, who was it? Oh, that's oh, right. right. Yeah, the guy that is now threatening to leave that's been there for over a decade, Mr. John Herdman, yeah. was part of that wave. So the women have done their part. They did it with the bronze and the Women's World Cup and then the penalty shootout and the goal, everything they have done along the time. Christine Sinclair just adding to history every single time she steps on the pitch. Then the men finally join the party. It's like, you know, we were primed for this with Alfonso Davies. Like, I think even even me, when I see Bayern Munich buys a guy out of MLS, I still don't like the term buys a guy in soccer, but we'll either, <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. Even I am like, okay, that's pretty good. And then yep. you just see, it's like, he's on the UEFA team of the year, all that stuff. Oh, we don't, we're not just a good soccer nation. We have a true elite one-on-one. Jonathan David comes along. He's winning the golden boot in Liga in France and everything. Look how oh. much I know know about soccer okay i know and it's like just continuing to take steps you have this miracle qualifying run to get to the world cup the moments at the ice tech beating the states in the hammer old buddy yeeting himself into the (laughs) snowbank there i loved every second of it and so did everyone else then it you go to the World Cup, and I'm not going to put all that on the CSA. A little bit of that's on Herdman and the team. Doesn't go well. That's okay. You can have building block moments, but you need to build on the momentum that you have. And what is, if you if you care about soccer, you know so much worse. If you're just a casual, every story you see is like, huh, seems like an absolute disaster right now with Kansas soccer. Yeah, that's a shame. I was so excited to get on board with the program and yada, yada, yada. It is just a complete fumbling of the opportunity like what do we talk about with athletes all the time is just put yourself in a position to succeed and then take advantage of the luck you've had or whatever it is it's not luck it is the work of the players that's got them all to this point and now you have a golden chance to strike and the fact that somebody willingly is going to walk to and again i'm not mr soccer expert here unless we're talking about my beloved arsenal of course but not Mr. Soccer expert here, but even I can tell you the only bigger disaster in Canadian soccer than the Canadian Soccer Association is Toronto FC right now. And if that's where you want to go, I I cannot begin to wrap my head around what that says about the CSA. Quick aside before I continue with Herbman here. Did the Gunners win yesterday? I, I actually don't know. Oh, come on. That's a test, Gunner. They did. Big, big, big 1-0 win. My my guy, no, Mark. You got to say it correctly. Say it correctly. What is the score? No, 1-0. I'm, I'm no, the guy. No, no, no. 1-0. Got to be a soccer guy. One bagel. One cob. Go Jeff. Go full Jeff Merrick. One cob. (laughs) My boy, Martin Odegaard with a goal on a penalty in the 54th minute. Getting us by Crystal Palace. All right. For all the soccer folks listening, 1-0 was the final score. Yeah. Okay. 1-0. One zip, baby. Um, They blanked him. Can I say that? Is that allowed in soccer? I think it's technically clean sheet. They maintained a clean sheet. I can't get around that one. It's tough. It's tough. I want to. That's the technical term. I'm trying. I'm like, 
Like, well, you're being for, educated here. No, I don't want to be, though. I want to <laughs> remain ignorant. I want to crawl in there. Here's how I want to watch all Arsenal games. I want somebody, you know how Aaron Rodgers goes into his darkness yeah. cave? And then they're just like, here's your food. I just want them to be like, they won 1-0. <laughs> Shout out Martin Odegaard. That's like, and I'm like, awesome. My gunners. Let's go, baby. You're, Oh, I you just did said no. Oh, yeah. you guys are infecting yeah. my brain. How could you do we this We did it. Oh. Let's go. We did we it. We got him, baby. We made progress. Yeah. That's it. I'm happy with that. Uh, back to Herdman. This is a guy that has helped define a generation of Canadian soccer. And I do want to make this point because yeah. he's this, this, not, this concept, this idea of him leaving or him not coaching this team for the 26 World mm-hmm. Cup was floated around. That yep. theory has been floated around extensively. Now, part of it is on, has been his own doing, mm-hmm. right? In terms of this, you know, he had, there was, back in February, there was a story, the report that surfaced that he was actually going to jet from the Canadian program and go back to New Zealand yep. and coach the New Zealand national team, which he's got ties to, and like his son's born in New Zealand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of connective tissue yep. there. And I think he tried to leverage that to get himself a better deal and some more money and to say, hey, prove my worth a little Mm -hmm. bit here, which in fairness to him, he did guide that program to a World Cup for the first time Mm -hmm. since 1986. I mean, that's the other thing. I don't understand what more we want. Like, what more do we want? He guided them to a World Cup for the first time since 1986 when nobody had reasonable expectations for them to actually get there. And Mm -hmm. they did. And they didn't win a game. And this is one of my biggest points of frustration. Everybody's like, well, I was so disappointed they didn't get a point. They didn't win a game. They had never scored a goal on that stage before. They scored a goal. They didn't win a game, but they were somewhat competitive. And you know what? It's about making progress. None of those players, none of those players had ever played on a stage like that in their lives. I don't care what you say about Bayern Munich, yeah, yeah. but that's the closest thing compared to being on a World Cup what stage. What about Steven Estacchio at Porto? Oh, exactly, right? Like, fine, Champions League. <laughs> Good for you, Steven Estacchio. Good. How about Milan Borian playing in front of 3,000 yeah. people and he's the goalie? <laughs> in sweatpants. In, right, exactly. <laughs> right? So that is where I'm like, our expectations were somewhat skewed. I did not understand the widespread criticism directed to him, the team right. based on performance, because quite frankly, just being there was the actual accomplishment. Now it's now it's about you could say 2026 should be OK. You know what? How many pro, how many countries around the world get into the World Cup routinely every single four years? Every time there's a every mm-hmm. quarter, Italy missed the last World Italy Cup. Italy has missed <laughs> two. They've missed. It's 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 blasphemous. We are sitting I there. The bear. Uh, you did. Uh, it is the most frustrating thing, and that's a soccer nation. So it's no guarantee. Italy missed it. Canada made it. Be happy. Canada made it. That's all. And this guy was central to getting the program to that point. And I'm telling you, I, I see this. Everybody has been so eager to just say, well, we can flip the page. We need a new start. We need a new voice to stand the next thing. When that guy leaves, who's been the fulcrum of this movement, there are going to be people who are going to sorely look that are going to look back and say, you know what? We're, we we missed that guy because he was all for the program. Somebody asked a question in the text line. Why can't he do both jobs like Nick Nurse tried to do? Well, Nick Nurse didn't, what, didn't do it successfully, clearly. Also, just in soccer, doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a full time gig. It's it's even with all the just all the different yeah, almost you can't, administrative. It can't things. be based out of the UK and then run in your no, training session. No, no. It just doesn't. Yeah, no. It doesn't so work. so that's why those those coaches across hap- the board I'm happy you brought that up. are separate in both spheres. They the, the, if you're either coaching a club yeah. team 
or you're coaching one of your national a national team. That's just how it goes. I'm happy you brought it up because I also wanted to point out that it did not work out fine with Nick Nurse. <laughs> Shout out Thomas Sadaransky of Czechia oh, who uh, ripped. Oh, I think it was Czech Republic when it they was. beat us. It was. Still was Czech. Yep. That's how long ago it was yep. that they uh, that they ripped our hearts. It was out. not Czechia. They were no longer Czechia, yep. or they were they were not Czechia then. Uh, they are now. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of the way it goes. That felt cathartic, by the I'm way. I'm happy. I could tell you were getting a little hot and bothered there. No, the it, last it did. time soccer talk got this hot uh, or that hot on this show was when, for some reason, I just started bludgeoning Bob Bradley oh, to Justin Cuthbert. And, then, and for whatever reason, Cuthbert was just like the defender of all <laughs> things Bob. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do it then. Hey, so. And you know who's the big winner if this does happen? Mm. Toronto FC wins. Oh, okay. Toronto I'll FC wins. John Herdman, everywhere he's been, has won. He's with the women's team. He's yeah. been successful, helped transform that group into a team that's meddling and being a legitimate force at the international level. Goes to the men's side. What does he do? Gets him to a World Cup. There are things that this guy wins games. He's won 60% of his games combined between the men's and women's programs in his career. That's impressive. That is really impressive for a country that historically, before he arrived, was never considered a soccer nation. And he's helped them get to that point. Toronto FC would be big winners if they actually get him to be to spearhead their entire soccer operation there for Toronto FC because God knows they do need a refresh. Shout out Mike Singletary. I want winners. Yes. Can't win with them. You can win with that well, guy. Patrick, the Patrick Willis one. Yeah. I want winners. Can't win with them. I Can't do it. No, wasn't that, that, that was, uh, it was the tight end, wasn't it? It wasn't Patrick Willis. It was oh, Vernon sorry. Davis, Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis, which was, he ended up being a really good player. But yeah, he yeah, did. That's right. Oh, yes. God. That was, that is an, it, for anybody, and again, it's like, as we get older in life, people sometimes miss these things. If you have not, taken in the the Mike Singletary or it's been a while. Go oh, give it a give it a spin because those are just the classics of those coach rants and everything. Those well, are the best. We got to we need a well, I guess Campbell gave us the like, we're gonna be eating cartilage and da da da. That was pretty good <laughs> when he first kneecaps, kneecaps when he first got hired on. But it has been a while since yeah. we had a good like we had Herm Edwards on a while ago. Mm-hmm. Of course, he gave a famous one. Uh, you know, diddly poo offensively with uh with Jim Morris Senior. Playoffs, of course. Oh, Mike Gundy, I'm favorite. a man, I'm 40. Yeah. That's a great one. Come and talk to me. <laughs> I would just like to football season is upon us. I, I want a new one this year. That would be great. I don't care who it comes from. Who would be the best candidate to deliver? <sighs> I think that's tough. That's actually a tough question. I'll tell you who the least likely candidate is. Oh, it's, There's it's two. an easy one. No, no. It's actually the, the the first guy who came to mind is not the easy one. So that's why I say there's two. Got it. Obviously, Belichick is the like number yeah. one. You know who is the next guy? Very different personality, but just couldn't see it. Andy Reid. Yeah, that's just, good. Like, yeah, if that's he a good was one. incensed about something, he'd just be like, man, I didn't like that very much. And then you go rip his team. I'm sure he rips his team to shreds, but it's like <laughs> when you're that accomplished, and I know Belichick is as well, but it's kind of the shtick, the aura, whatever. It's like, could you picture, like I've seen clips of Reed on the Kelsey Brothers podcast, and he's like ripping them and ribbing them, but that's different than just coming out and lighting a guy on yeah. fire on the podium. I think I think lighting up a team in the way that some of those iconic post-game moments mm-hmm. or, or those press conference moments have occurred in the past. There's a, I think it's a really small group. The, you the, know who's I, jumping to mind go, right now? Go for it. His brother is somebody people think of for this. I actually go, not Jim, John. John? I could see John after a tough game, mm. his, the re, but it like wouldn't be at his team. He'd be just like lambasting officials yeah, or I don't something think would, along those lines. That's that's true. I could say, cause he gets, There's, he gets, he gets pretty fiery. Oh, he does. Yeah. 
There are two guys that I know will give us some random, very bizarre comments. Like guaranteed, Mike McDaniel's one of them for oh, sure. Oh, I mean, Mike like, McDaniel's and- like run a vape shop and <laughs> found his way into a coaching in the NFL. And Nick Sirianni, those yes. two are gold for like the little sound bites. Yeah, but they're not like they don't get fiery and 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 animated. I think to it's the point. Campbell. It's probably Dan Campbell. I I agree. I think it's got to probably. Yeah, like it's got to be the Lions are having a like sputtery year where it's going okay, but they're not taking okay. Can I give you a dark horse? Yes. I'd love to see the the San Francisco version of him, Mm. but Robert Sala to me is a dark horse candidate. I like that. Yeah. Because he's a guy, A, he's in a big market, but yep. in, in San Francisco, he was known for having that, like, just being mm-hmm. super emotional and, yep. and animated on the sidelines. And he's kind of toned it down a bit here with mm-hmm. the Jets in recent years. But you know what? I could see it. I could see him just going out and, and you know, one day something's just not clicking and he explodes. He erupts and gives us a classic. Okay, quickly, two others that I just pulled up the list because I'm just kind of going off a of guy's faces now and then remembering them. Vrabel's a little crazy. Oh, come on. That's a great Vrabel's one. Vrabel's a lot of crazy. Vrabel's awesome. And sneaky Zach Taylor, I think, has a little crazy mm. Bengals coach. This is the guy who has his tradition of going to a bar in Cincinnati and delivering the game ball there after wins. (laughs) He does this like guys got a little crazy in him. He wants some smoke. It would take a lot to come out of it. Like I'm thinking cheap shot on burrow or something along those lines or a left tackle, just leaving him exposed or something like that. But yeah, that's uh, where I go. Vrabel's a good one. Vrabel just needling him and then one other other one. Now I think he's going to be on his best behavior because he's back Peyton. Oh, Okay. Yeah, he's never. I, I've, he's never struck me as that kind of guy, though, to that extreme. Okay, but yes, there we go. Those are some fun ones. Yeah, they are. They're and then, there, then there's the, the other guys who you just could never see it, like, like Mike McCarthy. It just seems so like oh, jolly. God. Oh boy, I know it's Cowboys coach. It's a tough job, but it just like he just some, comes across so jolly. Only, only place in sports where the, the owner talks after every game it's, has his own press conference. God, it's amazing. <laughs> Jerry and Jones. Honestly, again, just to bring it back, we were talking about untold at the end of the last hour. I would just like to commend the security force that they must have put around Jerry Jones <laughs> to prevent him from drafting Johnny Manziel in the first round of that draft. Like, I bet they had to lock him in a bunker somewhere. My- Steven Jones has just got him in a bear hug. Like, I love you, dad. No, we can't let go. No, 20 more minutes of bear hug, please. My brother, big Johnny Manziel yeah, guy, yeah. he goes, you know, I want a jersey. This is the other day because I want a jersey. I'm like, yeah, which one do you want? Tie cats. No, no. <laughs> Money Manziel. He called the Money Manziel. And I'm like, gosh, oh, yeah, okay. Baby. Money yeah. sign. Money yeah, sign. Texas A&M is the one he requested. That's specifically. awesome. Love that. Yep. Love that. Uh, loved our chat with Adam Jones a little earlier on. Uh, also coming up in the next hour of the show, Johnny Junta going to join us, co-host Gate 14 podcast. Jason Lackenfora, NFL analyst. A lot to get into on that. But FIBA World Cup starting this week. Or, or is it? I don't know. You tell me. Does it feel like it's about to start the World Cup of Basketball where Canada is going to try to qualify for an Olympic berth for the, in the men's side for the first time since Steve Nash and co. did it in Sydney? It really doesn't feel like it. We're going to make an amendment to what we said yesterday. There was one thing we mentioned that we're going to amend. Oh, okay. okay. I don't. This is news to me as well. I can't wait to find out when we come back. Fan Morning Show with Brent and Daniele on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fam Morning Show. 
Hand up. I was wrong yesterday. I lied to you all. That's not true. I just didn't know. I made a mistake. <laughs> We're allowed to make those. Daniele frankly yes. corrected me. What did I get wrong yesterday? I mean, many things, but what specifically regarding the FIBA World Cup? Well, just in terms of the qualification process for the Olympics. So the top two America's teams, as you correctly noted yesterday, yes, okay, I did okay, get you that did right. say this Thank you. part correctly. The top two America's teams are from the FIBA World Cup will advance to next summer's Olympics in Paris, France. Okay. But you also mentioned, so this is where you went a little bit off the beaten track, mm. which was if the United States win, that means still there are two other teams yeah, that can no. make it and Canada Apparently just needs to be not. one of those. No, no, no. So even if the U.S. So wins. Auto win, not, no auto qualify for the win, eh? No. So even if Bad the United rule. States wins, then Canada would need to be the second highest finishing America's team. And it's complicated a little bit because you don't have to play the other America's teams to end up wherever yeah, can you end we up. join a group with like greenland and the uk or something it's not an awful group except like their toughest it's america though like it's just well the best hold on country. okay no their toughest this is this is what i mean though so the the way it's structured is there's eight groups yeah, sure, right sure. eight groups four teams are all gonna so you play each team in your group mm-hmm. once three three games just like we would see at yep. most of these international Brown tournaments Robin. once that occurs the top two teams from the group advance to the second round Every team, the way FIBA does it is every single team is going to be classified from 1 through 32. So you win, obviously, you win gold, you're, you're first and whatever, all the way down to 32. They have games to determine all of this, right. literally every single position. But for, for Canada and for every other America's team, you do not necessarily have to play the other America's right. teams. You just need right? to finish It just depends where you finish. So that's either depending on what hand you're dealt, could be good, could be bad. So Canada... Their group, France, they're starting with France on Friday. Probably going to be their toughest test. France, who is automatically in as, yes, a, as a host. Yeah, or sorry, as, as a host. host yeah. They are the only team that has an automatic bid for the Olympics because they are the host nation. Beyond that, you've got uh, seven other teams that are going to qualify directly from the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And then those final four spots beyond that get determined, which Canada went through this recently. They will be determined next summer in the last chance qualifying tournaments as they occur, which you do not want to be in, because as we saw, A, it's very stressful, and B, anything can happen in Canada has been there too many times. So, yes, that's where we draw the line. So the United States can win, but Canada still has to finish as the number two ranked America's team. A tough, tough draw for J.D. Bunkus, Canada in a group with Latvia. Yes. Uh, and Lebanon. There. And and no Kristaps Porzingis for Latvia. Okay. So that's that would be the marquee name for them. So they don't have that. France... That's no, the toughest no challenge. No Wemby, right? No Wemby. No Wemby. Gobert's there, Batum's there, and Evan Fournier. Those are the three main attractions for the French team, which is respectable. Yeah, it, they're a good so. team. It's a respectable team. Well, and in FIBA rules, Gobert just gets to oh, stand under the paint the whole game and block anything he wants. Which, <laughs> which also, he should be able to do in the NBA. Okay. It's the only game in the world, the only, only level of basketball in the world where the stupid, and I will say it, oh. the stupid three-second defensive in the key rule exists. Nowhere else in the world does that rule exist except for the NBA. You want to know why? Let me tell you why. Because the NBA wants to do what? It's all about entertainment. It's I want, all about I want scoring guys and jammed show. on. Exactly. Yeah. Right? No, no. I want, I want block shots and I want posters. Yeah. And how do you do that? Guys Guess what? Lane. If there's a seven-footer standing in the rim, Jalen Green can jump over a guy. There's a lot of guys that can do it that are athletic. So why are we why are we afraid to see it happen? God. 
international basketball, is it still is uh, the dunk of death, the dunk du le mer, I think they call it in France, the one where VC dumped, jumped over <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. old Vice. Is that still that's the most electric. famous international basketball play? Be. It has I, to be, right? Like, the Olympics, that's, I mean, iconic. Well, yeah, because I'm trying to think. Like, there was the Redeem team, and it's like, I'm supposed to get so excited about America. And don't get me wrong, like, the Spanish team that America went against with, like, Rubio and Fernandez and those guys, like, that was a really solid international team, but go look at the roster and tell me I'm supposed to be like so <laughs> proud of LeBron and Kobe for beating these guys. Dwayne Wade. Yeah, honestly, it, it Carmelo. never ceases to amaze me uh, that, but yeah, it's uh man, just what I would give for Canada to come through this tournament and find a way to get in the Olympics. That's all I want to see. I just, we have been dying for it forever, forever. Just get it done. Get it done. And you know what it'll do? It'll also quell all the concerns and make everybody be quiet about Jamal Murray yes, not playing. It's true. It would be magnified if they don't make it. It becomes a real, real it's, it's already big. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Yeah, because if they if they go through, we all forget that he didn't play yep. in this because he'll be playing in the Olympics. And, and we remember the guys that did play. Exactly. It's a it's it's the best case scenario. Please, please let me see it. Uh you should watch that starting on Friday, Canada. France. So uh, check that out. You know what else you can check out? Guns and Roses coming to Rogers Center on September 3rd. And we're giving away tickets all week. To enter, all you have to do is tune in to episodes of the Fan Morning Show and text our daily code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Rocket Queen. Text Rocket Queen to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. If you don't win with us, make sure to secure your tickets at Ticketmaster.ca. Busy hour coming up. Plenty of Jays, plenty of NFL. One hour left. Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan.